This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. With summer coming up, I'm already dreading not only the traffic on the roads, but also the increased cost of groceries and the fact that my children eat all day long. You know, we all have stressors. Some are big and some are small, like an increased grocery bill. But therapy is a safe place to actually get these stressors off your chest and to figure out how you can actually work through them. There are many benefits to therapy for people from all walks of life. It's helpful to learn positive coping skills so you don't freak out about that grocery bill and how to set boundaries. Therapy can empower you to be the best version of yourself, and it isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's convenient, flexible, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Moore today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Russell Moore. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Ashley Hales, welcome to The Russell Moore Show. As the producer of The Russell Moore Show, I get the privilege of chatting with Dr. Moore as we consider your questions, and Russell gives us his answers. So we're excited to dive into topics about panic and partisan polarization. Ready to take that on, Russell? Panic and partisan polarization. That's quite an alliteration there. I think I'm, I'm ready for it. All right. Well, a very nice softball question. Robin asks, where do you get your news sources? So how do you think about your news consumption, your media consumption, and having a widespread diet? What does that look like for you, Russell? Well, I like to read a lot. So I'm not recommending this to anybody else, but I read a variety of different uh, newspapers every day through the app and online, usually. New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, those sorts of news sources. I also read quite a few journals and news magazines uh, as well, policy journals and, and that sort of thing. I rarely get news from television just because I'm often I'm not really in a in a place usually where I can just turn on the news unless something's going on that's live at the moment that I really need to I need to see and I also have uh, podcasts that I listen to often that are dealing with news issues that I find really informative too so the main thing is just to have a a wider variety than just one or two news sources and to make sure that you have represented a point of view that would be not 
identical to your own. Mm-hmm. I right. think that would be the important thing. Right. Because so much of how we take in news as well as information is funneled through algorithms. So yeah. choosing to to move away from that. Yeah. And and what happens is if if where you're getting your news is from a, a social media platform, it's really, really easy to start looking at the news that agrees with you. And then uh, the algorithm takes over and gives you more and more and more of that. And the problem is you will eventually start to think, how could anybody disagree with me on that? Mm -hmm. And that means that you're not, if you don't understand that point of view and perspective, you're not really informed about the news. Right. So that would be the, that would be the warning I would give. That's great. You know, and I think a lot of, what we're dealing with is this kind of identitarian sort of tribalism that we see throughout. One of our listeners talks about being overwhelmed by this identity language. And he writes this question. It's a little bit layered here. So how do we get beyond our present hyper-focus on identity, escape the societal vortex of the drama triangle and move into our great commission as coaches, teachers, as catalysts or pastors, as visionaries or prophets, and are defined more by Christ than by culture? Well, I would say it's not that we have too much Hmm. focus on identity. It's that we don't have enough. Hmm. And what I mean by that is, is this. All of us are in some way fitting into multiple different identity categories. Mm -hmm. You you think about the the concept coming out of the Dutch Reformed world of of sphere sovereignty, that you you are serving in different, I don't want to use the word roles because that sounds like you're you're pretending, Mm -hmm. but you have one aspect of who you are that's bound up with your job. Uh, mm-hmm. another that's bound up with your family, another that's bound up in other ways. So you have all of these, what would be identity markers mm-hmm. that are there, but there's always multiple of those. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the expectation, at least over the past several years, has been your identity is this one thing And with that identity, that's the way that you see everything. And not only does that not work because it doesn't line up with with the reality that God has created, it's also, I think, exhausted itself in in many ways. I Mm. I see that declining right now. Mm. But Mm -hmm. the question will still be there. How do I figure out who I am? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a key question. And the, the answer to that, I think, for Christians is really well-defined. Mm-hmm. Colossians 3, uh, your life is hidden in Christ. And when Christ appears, you will appear with him in glory. Therefore, there is no Scythian, Greek, Jew, slave, free. Christ is all and in all. And th- that doesn't mean that those categories don't mean anything. So it's not that someone would say, because you're in Christ, you're not an American. Right. You're not a Virginian. You're not a, you know, whatever you are. It means that you have an ultimate identity that Mm -hmm. is greater than that. Yeah. And I think that's what we need to focus on. 
Right. Um, and in what ways might you see, you know, as opposed to maybe kind of a flattening out of identity that you might see kind of in secular identity politics, to use that phrase, in what ways might the church then continue or in this particular moment in time to create that identity in Christ? What does that look like now in 2023? Well, I think part of it has to do with the way we disciple ourselves with how we read the Bible mm -hmm. and really seeing our life as being hidden in the life of Jesus. So the biblical story is not just a collection of principles or, mm -hmm. or stories to illustrate things for us, although that's true. It's, it's also a reality that because we're in Christ, we have entered into that reality. Mm -hmm. So it's not just that we're kind of overhearing psalms. We have psalms that are emerging out of our own storyline. And it's not just that there were a group of people who were baptized in the cloud and baptized in the sea and were grumbling in the wilderness, mm -hmm. as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. Those were our ancestors. Yeah. That's part of our story. So I think a lot of that has to do with just constantly reinforcing that. And also with a reminder to one another of that ultimate identity in Christ. Mm -hmm. And so self-consciously in worship, we remind one another, whatever else is true about us, the fundamental core of who I am is as a part of the body. And that body is the body of Christ. That's, that's not an easy thing because we're, as human beings living in a fallen world, I think every day, just about, about Walker Percy talking about how human beings, this sense of, I don't know what the meaning of life is. I don't know who I am. I'm just kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> that is the normal human condition right now, because right. we're in a situation that we're not just an organism in an environment. Mm -hmm. And so that's the fundamental human situation. If you're in Christ, you're still going to start to revert to that way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And so that requires not just a one-time, okay, here's what it means that my identity right. is in Christ, ultimately. That's not something that some people know and some people don't know. Mm -hmm. It's something that all of us have to remind ourselves about every day. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it feels even more pressing these days, right? In these, this moment of political turmoil and, you know, when it feels like the, the stability of the past feels very far in, in the distant past yeah. versus so much going on in this moment in time. We have, you know, some questions, too, about how do we think about some of these questions of polarization and nationalism in relation to leadership. So we have Kirk in Southwest Virginia. He was at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he talks a little bit about having had that experience, and he kind of felt primed and ready for ministry and then he, he's also trying to say, what is the relationship between Christians and culture? So he says, 
Is it a good point or a bad one that Christians should consciously refuse to inject our particular values into the public sphere in a spirit of doing unto others? In other words, since we obviously don't want others to codify their religious ideals, ought we not then to kind of insert our own? So what does that relationship look like, do you think, between you know, our evangelical faith particularly and leadership as well as, you know, political overtones and how much do we get involved there? Well, I would I would throw out the word values, first mm-hmm. of all. Not because it's not a good word, mm-hmm. but just because it has it has come to mean something completely different mm-hmm. now. And instead to look at, I mean, look at maybe the most important chapter in all the Bible, and I've referenced this here over and over and over again is 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So you have Paul saying there, when I'm telling you not to associate with liars or the or swindlers or the immoral, I'm not talking about the outside world because mm-hmm. then you would have to go out of the world. I'm talking about instead inside of the body of Christ. So when you're when you're thinking about any sort of issue in the public space, your question is not just, is this moral or immoral, just or, or unjust? It's what are the standards of justice that are, are necessary for a, a state to hold mm-hmm. together? Mm-hmm. And so there are going to be some things that you're going to say, these are sins, they shouldn't be crimes. It would be a, a horrible misuse of power to criminalize people who don't observe the Sabbath or, or any other sort of issue there. That's a, that's a matter of spiritual transformation that happens within the church, not that happens through the state. Mm-hmm. So a, a lot of this is really the same thing that, that is happening with anybody. Mm-hmm. Anybody comes into this, this public square and says, okay, we disagree with one another on all kinds of things, and we're motivated by different things. But we have, a, we have an agreement to live together as a society according to these rules of the game. Mm-hmm. And that's set ahead of time. And that's why in, in this country, it's a constitutional republic that's, that's a, attempting to do that, to say it's not just majority rule. It's majority rule with minority rights, Mm -hmm. and the majority can't take those rights away just because there are more of them. And so that means that you're going to come into those those conversations as somebody whose conscience is shaped and formed as a Christian. Right. So you pay attention to certain things because of what you believe about what humanity is, about what, what ultimately God thinks is good for human flourishing. But you're not coming into the public space and saying, the Bible says, therefore, the mm-hmm. law should be. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's not the commission that Jesus has given to us. Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive, finding a faith strong enough to hold us. 
written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, breathe, receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, breathe, receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. words of wisdom for leaders in the church as they're thinking about how to engage questions of politics and public policy particularly? I I think with the issues of politics and public policy, you, you have to come at it more sideways mm-hmm. than you do than you do a straight line. Then and, and that's what I see Jesus doing because Jesus is in a context where the fundamental question is, where are you politically? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's why the tax collectors were so offensive. Mm-hmm. He's eating with tax collectors. They're collaborators with Rome. Mm-hmm. Are you with them? Or are you with the zealots who mm-hmm. want to overturn Rome? Or are you with the Essenes who want to withdraw from society? I mean, all of these different power centers there— and Jesus doesn't doesn't adopt mm-hmm. any of those. He mm-hmm. transcends them and does yeah. something entirely different. And so when you're in a time when politics is not just a question of what sorts of things should we do, as a matter of fact, right now, very rarely is a question right. <laughs> about what sorts of things should we do, then instead you have to come in and to show people what it means to be in Christ, what it means to care about people created in the image of God, those principles of justice that God has has given to us, and recognizing that those are going to play themselves out in multiple kinds of ways. And what you want to do, you can't not speak with the authority that's been given to you. So the authority that's been given to you is to say, as John did, to the tax collectors and soldiers when, who are repentant and who mm-hmm. are, who are mm-hmm. coming into the people of God, uh, don't defraud anybody. Don't, don't embezzle money. Don't use your, your power to intimidate people. Those are principles of, of justice that apply to, to anybody mm-hmm. in the world, but also not to exceed your authority. And, and it's really easy uh, to do that by coming in and speaking in such a way that indicates or implies right. that unless you're politically defined in a certain way with a certain group, then that means you're not in Christ. You, mm-hmm. you start skating right into the Galatian heresy when you do that, and, and you end up unintentionally with the implication what it means to be a Christian is being in Christ and right. a Democrat right. or a Republican right. or a, you know, what, whatever it is. And that's, that's just not the gospel. Yes. Amen. Well, thank you for just thinking practically with us about that. There's another question about a man who lives in northern Alabama, and he says, sometimes it's hard to attend church. Almost every pastor seems to quote stories from Fox News. And you could get, I'm sure, a listener from a different part of the country where 
it, those those news sources are are swapped, right? But mm. he says so many of those stories are filled with misleading or hate-filled lines. How do I attend church but not become discouraged when truth and hate seems to fill every pulpit? Hmm. Well, that that is a that is a really hard question because many people are in that situation where they say I'm in a place and I'm in a community where I'm I'm not only commanded to be mm-hmm. by God to be part of the body of Christ, part of the worshiping community, that's the only way that I'm going to flourish spiritually. And yet there are churches that have abandoned that mm-hmm. centrality of life in Christ for something else. I think it really comes down to something really similar to what we already do with questions of doctrine and worship. Now, they're not equivalent, and I'm mm-hmm. not saying they're equivalent. I'm saying that you already know how to do this because you might go to a church, there are certain doctrines that you would say, I don't agree with those. The mm-hmm. pastor talks about those, uh, right. you know, qu- quite a bit, but mm-hmm. I don't agree with those. But they're not central to right. the life of this church. And so I can live with it. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been in churches where I didn't exactly uh, agree with how the church government went, just because I have views about what, what right. I think the Bible teaches <laughs> about church government. But I was able to to be in that church. I wouldn't be able to if it were a question of, you know, some people are Trinitarians and some people are Unitarians. <laughs> right, no, right, no. I would not be in that church. So what you need to determine, so you, you already know how to do that. What you need to determine when you're visiting these, these churches is in what cases are people aspiring to follow Christ and they just don't know how and they uh, in this in this respect not in, mm-hmm. in every respect, they don't know how to do it with that and so they do the things that that they've picked up yeah. so there there may well be churches in your area in in northern alabama where there are pastors who are doing what you describe but because that's the model they've always had. Right. But it's a congregation that really does want to be faithful to Christ. And in that sort of situation, you can you can be a part of that church and 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 work in various ways and just know that about the congregation. And then there're going to be other congregations where no this is central. It's it's Fox News or MSNBC at prayer. Yeah. I was just hearing this actually uh, day before yesterday from somebody who kind of in the opposite, what I'll bet is the opposite right. situation from, from this listener who said, I grew up in this very progressive Episcopal church where it was not only that the sermons were ultimately all about politics. Right. And and he said even politics I agreed with, but all about that. It wasn't just that. It was that over time that became so central that it even started showing up in prayers. Right. So you'd have somebody praying and he said it, it got to the place where people wouldn't even address God. 
they would just get up and say, I hope for peace oh, and justice and that sort of a thing lost right. its moorings. Right, right. And I also heard week before last from a couple of a couple of ministers in a mainline Protestant tradition who are themselves very politically liberal mm-hmm. and are saying, we're really under fire in our congregations, mm-hmm. not just if we don't agree on some particular political point, but if we don't make that political point central. Wow. And so one of them said, I, I find that I'm experiencing the exact same thing that a lot of conservative evangelicals mm. are, mm. just with a different kind of politics. Mm-hmm. So that's all, that's going to be a temptation in a time like this, right? And it's going to be difficult. But I would just say, don't give up. And it may be that Lord's calling you to plant a church in, in your area. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. I love hearing from both sides, right? There's so many pastors and leaders who are struggling with folks who are kind of radicalizing within their congregations. And it's also great to hear folks in the pews talking about that challenge from another angle as well. That Yeah, that, and it's it's yeah. happening more right now mm-hmm. on the right yeah, for a variety of reasons that, that we could go into later. But it's happening much more on the right. But it can happen mm-hmm. in in any context. And so what's important is not to not to simply come in and say, I don't agree with those politics, so let's find a church that makes a different kind of politics central. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's instead to say, no, there's a, there's a different way of being, Jesus yeah. called us to. Right. And I wonder if just some of the fear in this moment in time particularly is, you know, we're, we're reaching out for handholds instead of the, the unchanging gospel of Jesus. Yeah, that's yeah. that's true. We have a question about yard signs. So, yard signs. Yard signs. You know, like okay. I be- in this house, we believe these things. So, specifically, this is a- around issues of gun control. This question came in a bit, you know, about after some of the the shootings in Nashville, particularly. But this listener writes, "I've struggled with whether or not I should put a similar sign in my own yard, knowing many of her neighbors could possibly shun her for for doing so." or quote-unquote being political, but after free spe- the free speech of mothers in Nashville was shut down, I'm wondering if keeping my silence is really loving my neighbor or protecting the most vo- vulnerable among us. Can you give us some guidance? So, of course, this question goes beyond simply, do I put a sign in my yard or not? But it is questions about justice and loving neighbor and what those ramifications are. Well, I think the question is not, is it right or wrong to have a yard sign? It's what are you attempting mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. with the yard sign? So, for instance, you mentioned the right. Covenant School shooting here where I live in Nashville. One of the things that happened immediately after that shooting is when I would drive through that community and a lot of other communities in Nashville, too, there were signs, we stand mm-hmm. with Covenant. And that really did have, I think, a powerful effect on on people because you're driving around and you're saying, okay, we're not alone. The entire Mm -hmm. community is is actually together Mm -hmm. on this. So it served a good purpose. And those signs, I think that kind of thing would Mm -hmm. be good. There are other kinds of things that you might do, though, that really are about 
kind of a passive aggressive way yeah. of arguing where I, you know, I have a particular political position or religious position, whatever it is. And yeah. I put that yard sign up and it's really just to kind of irritate mm -hmm. my neighbors mm -hmm. who don't mm -hmm. agree with me. Well, one of the things we know, I mean, I, when I first started out, uh, I was in politics and put up a lot uh -huh. of yard signs for my, my boss and, and others. And one of the things we always knew in campaigns, and it's true now too, is that people aren't persuaded by <laughs> yeah. yard signs. What yard signs do is to make the people whose yards they're in more enthusiastic right. and sometimes to give kind of a show of force. That, that's usually an illusory mm -hmm. show of force. But you start to look around and you say, wow, everybody in my community, it seems like, is for John Smith, right. for Congress, or everybody in my community is concerned about uh, guns mm -hmm. or whatever it is. If that's what you're trying to do and you think that that's going to be effective to do that, then, yeah, I mean, you have uh, you have freedom of speech as as a person who can talk about what you believe. But... It's usually, I think, not the <laughs> best way to have those yeah. conversations. So, so if you're saying to yourself, I want people to know where I stand, and sometimes that's called for, mm -hmm. fine, mm -hmm. put the sign out. But if you're, what you're saying is, I want to persuade other people in my neighborhood to, to be where I am on this position then a yard sign might not mm -hmm. be the best way to do it. To what extent do you feel like the yard sign is similar to the kind of reposting on social media and that it it feels like then we're a part of something or we belong to a group, but we mm -hmm. haven't actually done anything? Yeah. And, you know, I don't, I don't really mm -hmm. bash that because I think at some level, something momentous happens and people are saying to themselves, I'm really concerned about this and there's nothing mm -hmm. I can do. So I want to right. show support. And I think uh, not only do I not think there's anything wrong with that, I uh, changed my profile on X, <laughs> Twitter, whatever it is yeah. at the moment, an American flag, an Israeli flag, mm -hmm. Ukrainian flag in order to say right from the very beginning, hey, if you're mm -hmm. coming to this, you're coming to this speed, I'm really uh, I'm really concerned about the Middle East and I'm particularly right. on this side when it comes to Israel mm -hmm. versus Hamas. And I'm on this side when it comes to Ukraine versus Russia. Now, is that going to do anything to defeat Hamas right. or Putin? Right. No, no. But it's a way of expressing that. And so I think sometimes that's what people are are doing. And so I don't really— Like solidarity. I don't right. really— you know, some, Yeah. And it's it's sometimes when, when something happens and there's a certain kind of meme that everybody puts up, then there are always going to be people who are going to say, all you people who are not doing anything, but you're putting up yep. that meme. Yeah. But there's not anything they can right. do in most cases, mm -hmm. at least right away. And they're just sort of saying to one another, hey, I'm really worried about this. Yeah. I think that's okay. Yeah. It's a good start anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Good start.
This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Nine Lives and Counting, a bounty hunter's journey to faith, hope, and redemption, written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman. Nine Lives and Counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events, but also ventures into behind-the-scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly. Nine Lives and Counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. We also have a question about panic amongst, and this probably came in a while ago, but it's particularly related to the Baptist psyche. So, you know, current events here in the end of the yes, Baptist psyche. in the end of October may okay. may shift, of course, as the news cycle shifts. But one of our listeners writes, "What is it about the Baptist psyche that seems to lend itself to a never-ending panic?" It results in people being angry or anxious all the time. In the Bible, he says, tells us to get rid of all anger in Ephesians 4, and that fear and love can't coexist in a heart in 1 John. So why aren't people just tired of perpetual panic? Well, I don't think that's I don't think so the- either. <laughs> I think it's it's this anxiety of, of most of our news cycles on all sides. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, it's not because I'm I'm sort of trying to protect my yeah, Baptist right. identity here because I have certainly been willing right. to <laughs> talk about yes. problems in the yes. Baptist psyche. I'm a committed Baptist, even, even though I'm in a multi-denominational church, but I'm a Baptist. I think that I, I don't think it's unique to the Baptist psyche. I think it's I think it's unique, first of all, to mm-hmm. the human psyche the fallen human psyche. And what I mean by that is not that it goes on all the time, but I mean, it's always something that can be activated in a a group of people when you have the right conditions. Mm -hmm. And then I think in some cases, it is unique to the broadly evangelical psyche. Mm -hmm. So people in multiple different Mm -hmm. traditions, but who are often given to a sense of being under siege mm-hmm. rather not not that they're in a sense of saying okay we're in the minority here but we're in the minority and we're about to be mm-hmm. eliminated and that brings with it often a panicked and an angry mm-hmm. sort of sort of response so I, I yeah I don't think it's particularly Baptist but I, I think it's right now it it's is. all over the place in the evangelical world and I wonder too if there's there's something about you know the necessity right for personal conversion too and you get this even way back in the Puritans right the sense of testimony and there's so much of that too of our own faith traditions that lend itself to this constant kind of introspection that can then turn into panic. Yeah, but I don't think that that's, yeah. that is true, but I don't think that is related to this panic because that sort of introspection and constantly kind of the, mm-hmm. the shadow side of something that I believe to be mm-hmm. really biblical and really good, 
the the call to yes. personal decision, personal new birth, what that can sometimes do is any good thing can be recontextualized in some right. bad ways. And one of those ways is this sense of constantly wondering, am I really mm-hmm. a Christian? And I went through that. I I prayed the sinner's prayer mm-hmm. probably a hundred thousand times from my 12th birthday to my <laughs> 22nd. And the reason for that, I, I believe, is because there was something in in my church life, which is mm-hmm. really good, the worry about people who are simply thinking that they're all right with God because they go to church. And so there's an emphasis, because that's not true, there's an emphasis that comes in and says, some of you are right. deceiving yourselves about whether you're in Christ. Is that a biblical message that needs to be delivered? Yes. But like any other true message, when it's emphasized in a in the wrong way to the wrong people, I mean, you, you've got multiple problems mm-hmm. going on at once. So in this case, you have some people who are just presumptuous and they just think, I've prayed a prayer, so everything's good no matter what I do or what I believe. And then you've got another group of people who have somehow somehow taken in not just a sense of the judgment of God in Scripture, but they've taken in this view of God as angry mm-hmm. with them, and that what God is doing is the, the fundamental picture is God saying, I want to damn you unless you find a loophole. That's the default. But that's exactly the opposite of John 3.17. God did not send his son into the world in order to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. And so you, you, I, I was reading a, a theologian last week who really emphasized the Christ-likeness mm-hmm. of God and was making the point a lot of people think, even if they don't kind of cognitively think this, they feel it that there's a God hidden somewhere back of Jesus and he yeah. is hacked yeah. off. And Jesus is the is, is right. the good cop trying to trying to help us and there's a bad cop but that's that's not, that's not what God is like. So when John says in John 1 that Jesus has mm-hmm. revealed him yeah, we, we see that. We see that in Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. So when you see Jesus, you are seeing what God is like. Yeah. And so some people need to really remind themselves of that when they're, when they're kind of given mm-hmm. to that sense of, of despair. And I think the same thing happens with, even, even apart from that, the same thing happens with, with sin and repentance. I've known some people who think, yeah, that's what God is for us to forgive sin. So I'm going to do this, and then later <laughs> right. I'll ask forgiveness for it. That's very unbiblical. But then there are other people who think that somehow when they sin, what they do is they start to withdraw mm-hmm. from God. That they, they don't want to 
pray. They don't want to, to, to do those sorts of things because they feel like God is shocked and appalled. And it's like you're a kid. You don't want to go into your into the room yeah. where your dad is after you've just done something bad because you know you're going to get in trouble. God knows all of this. And the way that you get past it is not by withdrawing mm-hmm. from him, but by drawing closer. And in some cases saying, God, I don't know what to do. I know that this is this is wrong. And I know that I keep falling and stumbling in this area. And God, I don't know what to do. I need yeah. you to show me. I mean, that's that's that is really what in in most cases all of us need. But we don't if we think, mm-hmm. well, God's just sitting around and saying, Ugh, John <laughs> Here again. Here he comes. <laughs> I know. Ashley again. Same stuff again and again. <laughs> you know, as we think about that, I wonder if that might be a helpful way to close or to end on a hopeful note. And I'd love for you to just quickly comment about, you know, given this panic moment, this polarizing moment of yard signs and, you know, kind of passive-aggressively dealing with things and fear, politics from the pulpit, what does it look like to maintain some hope? I think what it, what it looks like to maintain hope is not to live in a state mm-hmm. of denial. Bible doesn't give us that picture of the world. And so it's not a sense of, well, oh, well, I'm sure everything's going to be okay. But it's also not in a place of despair. So what often, I mean, I was, I just quoted to a group of people the other day. I was in a meeting where uh, Joe Lacanti, friend of mine who's a brilliant uh, scholar, has written books on C.S. Lewis, and he's writing a book right now. And he was quoting a letter that Lewis had written to J.R.R. Tolkien that said, my entire philosophy of history is wrapped up in one sentence from yeah. Fellowship of the Ring. And the sentence is, when Frodo is, is sort of falling apart and in despair, which <laughs> happened a lot, but one of the times he's doing that, and Gandalf says to him, there was a time of great darkness, they're referring to some time in the past, was a time of great darkness, but it was also a time of great valor and deeds were done that were not wholly in vain. Mm. And I I think that that is, I just, mm. I sat back and thought, you know, and how many times right, have I right. read Fellowship of the Ring? But mm. I never really noticed that. And I stepped back and said, you know, that's, that's mm-hmm. really right. You're, you're acting in ways in which you say, whatever world God has put me in, he wasn't <laughs> surprised by it. So God decided that you would be born now and born again now and that you would be in this context and that he will give you all of the resources you need to stand. That doesn't necessarily mean to prosper the way that we define prosper, but to stand. And so that sort of confidence, I think, should give us hope. Well, thank you. 
Russell, that's a beautiful line. We'll all tack it up on our bulletin boards, I'm sure. As always, we are so grateful for your questions, and we'd love to consider them on another episode of The Russell Moore Show. You can send them to questions at russellmoore.com, and we would look forward to answering your questions. Thanks again, Russell, for a fabulous conversation. Oh, enjoyed it. The Russell Moore Show is a production of Christianity Today. Executive producers are Eric Petrick, Russell Moore, and Mike Cosper. Hosted by Russell Moore, produced by Ashley Hales. Associate producers are Abby Perry. Director of Operations for CT Media is Matt Stevens. Audio engineering provided by Dan Phelps. Video producer is Abby Egan. And the theme song for The Russell Moore Show is Dusty Delta Day by Lennon Hutton. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast, two clergy of different traditions. Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.